On this episode of This Week in Space, we're talking to Jose Hernandez, former NASA astronaut and the subject of the great new biopic on Amazon Prime, A Million Miles Away. Stay with us. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is This Week in Space, episode number 84, recorded on October 20th, 2023. Hometown Hero. This episode of This Week in Space is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get the open source password manager that can help you stay safe online. You can get started with a free Teams or Enterprise plan trial or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Week in Space, the Hometown Hero Edition. Today, Tarek and I are thrilled to have Jose Hernandez join us. Yay! If you've seen the film A Million Miles Away, you know part of Jose's story, and it's quite an incredible story. Former NASA astronaut, space entrepreneur, and the most hardworking, tenacious, and perhaps stubborn guy I think we might talk to in a long time, (laughs) and you'll see if you see the film. And we've met a lot of overachievers here, so this is going to be an impressive, fun day. So, Jose, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for uh, for inviting me, Rod. Uh, happy to be here with you and Tariq, and uh, just just ecstatic to be able to uh, to talk to you guys. Uh, heard so much about you guys, so now I'm here with you. So it's great. Oh, now I'm worried, Tariq. If he's, <laughs> if he's hearing about us, this this may be NASA putting out the, the the smash on us. Well, okay, but before we start, what we're really known for is our space joke. So here's yes. here's my latest space dad joke from listener. Former guest and NSS big shot Jonathan Daigle. Hey Tarek, what happened to the angry astronauts when their moon lander overshot the landing zone? I don't know, Rod. What did happen? They had a bit of a dust up. <laughs> okay. I got it. I got it. It took me a while. It Delayed a while, and sincere laughter is better than none at all. And he, as he wrote after that, and yes, I invented that one. I should have been in comedy. Jonathan, don't quit your day job. Um, as always, we invite you to send space jokes. You know, we get plenty of fan mail, Tarek, yes. but only about a tenth of them send us a space joke. I have to continually shake the tree for that. So please, uh, please do so while you're also giving us a thumbs up on your favorite podcaster oh, or your yeah. favorite podcatcher, I should say. All right. So let's uh, get through some headlines here and we get down yes. to business. So uh, SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic executives urge senators to improve the FAA. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It's a, it, so I have, to, I have to start off with, Rod, it's been an interesting week because I actually took this whole week off from work. Yeah. So I, I had to actually go back and actually see what was happening this week. And this was an interesting one because... This is from uh, Space.com, I assume. Yeah, well, no, this is actually from CNBC, uh, but hmm. uh, Space News had a version of it as well. And uh, the, um, the Senate subcommittee on space and science had a, a hearing uh, this week from SpaceX, from Blue Origin, from Virgin Galactic, basically the players that need all of like the FAA's help in clearing their vehicles for commercial space flights. And we've talked in the past about how SpaceX has kind of been pushing a lot uh, the FAA to try to get approvals uh, through uh, the, I guess, through the, through the door so that they can launch Starship and, and do their tests and everything. And this is kind of like a team up from these three major companies saying that the FAA doesn't have enough resources to meet the, their needs to get stuff done 
on a timely basis. In fact, Bill Gerstenmeyer, who you'll remember, um, you know, was was a, a NASA spaceflight chief for many, many, many years. Now he's at right. SpaceX as a VP. And he said, and I quote, that the FAA needs at least twice the resources they now have um, in order to license rocket launches. This comes after the FAA and the Department of Commerce worked to try to streamline launch licensing uh, and whatnot. Uh, so it's a very interesting kind of turn of development where it seems like the end users like uh like the blue origin for their new shepherd like spacex for their um their starship you know not so much for uh for falcon 9 but they do have kind of like a, a cadence going there they're they're at like 60 some launches for the year i mean dwarfing their their previous record it's closer to 70 yeah yeah, I've I've lost track. That's how many there are a week uh, from from SpaceX, uh, and then and then Virgin Galactic, who has been launching monthly commercial space flights uh, of of their uh, Unity spacecraft. And so I think that there's this is like a sea change, right? This is kind of like the Uniteds and Deltas uh, clamoring to say we need to have uh, some some extra support to get our flights through, uh, but for space. And uh, and so it'll it'll be interesting to see how this was. And it's also interesting that the FAA was not invited to testify to the Senate in this in this hearing to say, hey, this is what they're saying. But because I do believe that the FAA has done some work to expand at least some local offices in, in South Texas for SpaceX in particular mm-hmm. to help address that problem. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see what report comes out of this committee, any actions that the FAA gets, you know, any other kinds of things. But, you know, when it comes to budgeting, there isn't a lot that can be done right now because the the, the House of Representatives is kind of all locked up in their um, right. in their in their leader fight. We're not going to hear any developments for that uh, for funding for the future. Yeah, I, I think Tariq, the um, the strategy the FAA should take should be a two prong approach. Is is um, try to satisfy the needs of the um, commercial industry where there's no humans involved in spaceflight because that's a different animal. Than, um, than the one when you start involving humans to fly on yeah. the vehicles. And my concern is that because there's perhaps that dif- not that differentiation when they go through that approval process, that it gets bogged down when unnecessarily if it's an uncrewed spaceflight. And so, so if they separate them and then deal them deal with them in a different level of attention, then I think uh, things could improve a little. A little faster. Yeah, that's spot on. You know what? what I think kind of Jose. You know, just just as you said, the FAA has an office of commercial spaceflight, but there isn't an op- office of commercial crew spaceflight or or you know uncrewed or expendable or anything like that. So right. it'll be interesting to see Jose if they take you up on that. You know, <laughs> so well as long as we're discussing this, uh, it's been interesting to watch the FCC sort of try and scrape out their bit of turf, and that's a little bit of a head scratcher to me. You know, if it's a satellite, a comm satellite, or something using bandwidth. Of course, that makes sense because they regulate that. But it seems like there's been a little bit of pressure and some motion towards trying to get a little more authority than that, which doesn't make sense to me. So, well, for, for the FCC, it is a totally different kind of animal there, too. They're, you're looking at orbital slots as well as bandwidth slots. Yeah. Um, and so uh, and, that's and, and the whole other regulation hurdle, I believe. Yeah, Go ahead. And it, yeah, and it's not just them, right? It's yeah. the International Telegraph Union that you have to go through that whole process and there's only so many slots. And this is only for, my understanding is that's only for geosynchronous satellites. I think all bets are off when it's a, uh, when it's low earth orbit satellites that are continuously moving along, uh, which is uh, a different animal in itself. 
Okay, well, let's let's move on to the next story because we want to spend most of our time talking to Jose. So, uh, Tarek, which one do you want to do? I think Pick let's one. do this this really nice uh, James Webb Space Telescope discovery on Jupiter that we've okay. got. This was the one that really caught my eye uh, from the science side uh, th- this week. Um, and basically, the James Webb Space Telescope has spotted a jet stream on Jupiter, this is from space.com. Um, my colleague Monisha Ravasetti uh, wrote it. Uh, but they they spotted this jet stream on Jupiter that is stronger than a Category 5 hurricane on Earth, which is just crazy. <laughs> I mean, Jupiter obviously is like a ginormous planet. And so its storms are, are you know, they dwarf or they, what is it? They outshine. They make us small, I think is what I'm trying to say. I mean, the Great Red Spot, right, is like the size of a couple of Earths right. alone. Oh, and, much, um, yeah. And so, and so the James Webb, you know, not really built to look at the planets in our solar system, but it can. And, uh, and they, they basically have used its near infrared camera to look at the, the clouds. And they found this jet stream that is blowing, um, you know, stronger than a, a category five. In fact, they say that the high speed jet stream on the planet is traveling at more than 3000 miles an hour. So that's 4,800 kilometers. Uh, no, 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 pardon me. No, it's 3000 miles wide and it's traveling at 320 miles per hour. Well, that's, that's an order of magnitude off, but I want to make sure I got that right. So 320 miles per hour, 515 kilometers per hour. And it's something they've never seen before. And they actually said, quote, this totally surprised us. And they're trying to figure out what it means about understanding Jupiter. And the photo alone, the, the near infrared is just gorgeous, too. So you've got this weird uh, jet stream on Jupiter. You've got this stunning new photo of the planet from James Webb, uh, which just never seems to disappoint. And I'm just very happy to see that they're looking at all of the other planets uh, in our solar system for it. So it puts, turn, new, well, it puts a new meaning to a headwind, huh? Yeah, that's right. It does. I, I'm not. I'm no pilot, Jose. I mean, I, I would hate to have to be the one that has to fly through that, right? So, so Tarek, while you and I were discussing on the uh, back deck of my boat last week, all the reasons we didn't manage to become astronauts when we grew up, I think one of them is probably errors that are orders of magnitude off. When you're, <laughs> yeah. when you're in space, that can be unfortunate. And I, I think back to to Buzz Aldrin using a sextant and a and a pencil and a piece of paper to navigate his Gemini capsule over to the Agena by hand. And if it were you and I, we would have ended up on Jupiter probably, which would have been (laughs) unusual for Gemini. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back and we'll talk to Jose. This episode of This Week in Space is brought to you by Bitwarden, the only open source cross-platform password manager anywhere, anytime. In fact, security now, Steve Gibson has even switched over. And that's saying a lot. With Bitwarden, all the data in your vault is end-to-end encrypted, not just your passwords. In the summer of 2023, G2 Enterprise Grid Report, they solidified their position as the highest-performing password manager for the enterprise, leaving competitors in the dust. Bitwarden protects your data and privacy by adding strong, randomly generated passwords for each account. You can go further with the username generator and create unique usernames for each account or use any of the six integrated email alias services. You can also log into Bitwarden and decrypt your vault after using SSO on a registered trusted device. No master password is needed. This new solution makes it even easier for enterprise users to stay safe and secure with Bitwarden. And you can transparently view all of Bitwarden's code available on GitHub. On top of being public to the world, Bitwarden also has professional third-party audits performed yearly, and the results get published on their website. Bitwarden is open-source security you can trust. Share private data securely with coworkers across departments or the entire company with fully customizable and adaptive plans. 
Bitwarden's Teams organization option is $3 per month per user, while their enterprise organization plan is just $5 per month per user. And individuals always get Bitwarden's basic free account for unlimited passwords. You can upgrade anytime to a premium account for less than $1 per month or bring the whole family with their family organization option to give up to six users premium features for only $3.33 a month. This Cybersecurity Awareness Month, keep yourself and help your friends and family stay secure online with Bitwarden. Bitwarden offers a fully featured free plan for everyone, which now includes being able to use hardware security keys or pass keys as a form of two-factor authentication. Bitwarden envisions a world where nobody is hacked, wouldn't that be nice, and is the only major password manager offering the strong security option for free. And I came over to Bitwarden. I agree with all these things, and I'm paying for it, and I love it. You know, at Twit, we're fans of password managers. You can get started with Bitwarden's free trial or a Teams or Enterprise plan, or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. That's bitwarden.com slash twit. All righty. Let's move on to the fun stuff. That's Jose. right. We have an astronaut here. <laughs> with Not a, an astronaut. The, the astronaut. The what astronaut. are you talking about? We, we should really, Jose, we should really just kind of point out to everyone that you are near and dear to my heart in terms of the astronauts that I've written about or or met in person because we are from the same hometown. Oh, from thank Stockton. God you, don't, you didn't mention band again. I thought we were going to hear about band. No, Stockton, California. Stockton's cool. Uh, Franklin High School. We both were alumni from there. I heard you were there oh, just before we started recording. You said you were there yesterday. Uh, earlier. So, so, so well, I'm so excited to welcome you. And I should probably say my mother says hello uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> say hello to her. I met her at a restaurant, and uh, she she came up to me and she says, "You know, I'm a Tariq's uh, uh, mother." <laughs> oh, I know him. He writes a lot about space. <laughs> I didn't realize you were from Stockton, Tariq. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had talked a few times, and I didn't realize you were from Stockton. It wasn't until your mother told, and then, and then, of course, we started talking more, and <laughs> uh, and, and the rest is history, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why this is such a special treat uh, to be able to ha- uh, for you to have some time to join us on 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 the show. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. And um, and I guess just to start out with, for the folks who uh, who don't know, if you can just give us like a short bio or like an introduction of, of who, you know, who you are, um, and, and where you are right now. Sure. Well, you know, I'm, um, uh, I'm, I, I come from a migrant farm working family. My parents are from Mexico, but, uh, I was born here because I was born during the summer months, harvest months. And as I grew up, you know, we, we went up and down, uh, to California, uh, nine months, uh, following the harvest, starting Southern California, two months, two months in Central California, five months in Stockton. And then we would go to my parents' hometown in, uh, in Michoacan, Mexico for three months and self-study. <laughs> and it wasn't until my second grade teacher, Miss Young, convinced my parents that we needed to stay in one place. We made Stockton our home. And, uh, and then as a, uh, fifth grader, I was 10 years old. I saw the very last Apollo mission on TV, Apollo 17. And it was none other than Gene Cernan walking on the surface of the moon. And I would go outside. It was a cold December, early evening, come back inside and, um, and see him and listen to the reporter. Still remember his name, Walter Cronkite narrating <laughs> that walk. And I was hooked. I said, this is what I want to be as a 10 year old. Uh, I already knew 
I wanted to be an astronaut. And my dad gave me a simple recipe that day when I told him he did two important things. First, he validated the dream. Uh, you know, he didn't squish it. He actually uh, nourished it and said, I think that's a great idea. And I remind you, this comes from a man who only has a third grade education, mm-hmm. but he had the wisdom to sit me down and said, follow these five simple steps, son. Determine your purpose in life. Recognize how far you are. Draw yourself a roadmap. Uh, uh, and then prepare yourself according to the challenge and never, ever give up. Develop a work ethic second to none. And of course, the sixth one is that never give up the perseverance that I add to my, to my recipe. And I put that to work. And after 12 rejects, 11 rejections, that 12th time was the charm. That's when I uh, finally got selected into the 19th class of astronauts, flew on space shuttle discovery. And then uh, they retired the space shuttle fleet. So I came back home to raise my family and, uh, and now, you know, can't come full circle. They say you can take, (laughs) you can take a kid out of the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the kid because now I have a vineyard still pick grapes. They're my grapes. And um, and I didn't stop there. I make my own wine under the label Tierra Luna Cellars, Tierra Luna Cellars. And uh, it's a wine that tastes out of this world. <laughs> so I love this story and, and a part of it that I love. And you were probably about the same age when you saw Apollo 17 as I was when I saw Apollo 11. And of course, I had the same reaction. And when Tarek finally came around 20 years later and watched <laughs> the space shuttle flights, he had the same reaction. The big difference is, of course, you went out and became an astronaut against all odds. And I just want to remind people that this story is told capably and beautifully in the movie A Million Miles Away, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. I watched it last night. Yes, I got dirt in my eye and got a little misty eyed. But I thought one of the things that was remarkable, besides just being a well-made top shelf movie, one of the things I found really remarkable is, and because you just mentioned this, you know, they, they chronicle your origins and that origin story could have easily become overly sentimental or it could have been tinged with frustration and anger. It could have been a lot of things, but what it felt like to me was it was played very sincerely, very straight up. We really got a sense of, of where you came from and what your family went through. And, you know, for most people watching this, they've never had an experience like that. I mean, I had a lot of crummy manual labor jobs and I was a kid, but nothing like that. And when I drive up and down Central California and I see people working in the fields, you're really reminded of how tough that work is. I mean, that is not an easy way to grow up or to live as an adult because you're you're bending over for hours and hours and hours. And that is not an easy part of the country to work in. It's hot. It's dusty. It's pretty brutal work. So I, I, I thought... All, all those things taken into consideration, I thought the portrayal of that in your family life was really handled with great delicacy and love. Yeah. And, and you know, and it was tough, Rod, but, you know, when you grow up under those conditions, that's the only thing you know. You don't mm. know any better. You think, OK, this is the way everybody is. It's not until after you grow up and you reflect back and you wonder, how in the heck did I make it out of there? Yeah. <laughs> and then that's when you realize how important uh, family structure is, how important education is, how important goal setting is for yourselves and all those type of things that you need to sort of climb out of the hole you find yourself in. You know, education is like a through line, it seems, of of, of your life. You mentioned earlier, and it's, it's shown in the 
uh, in both your your uh, biography, uh, reaching for the stars, and and the, the 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 film itself about you know your teacher convincing your parents. Uh, uh, to stay, uh, you went to uh, the University of Pacific, which is in Stockton again. Yay! Yes. And, I, and, I, and I had him wear the T-shirt, so we could. <laughs> you did. I saw that. Uh, and, and you and you you studied electrical engineering there, and I was curious. I mean, it, it, it's it seems like that early life in in Stockton and 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 with your family really shaped like all the tenants that you followed uh, that led you to become uh, an, an astronaut there. But what drew you to electrical engineering? In, in terms like specifically um, to make that kind of like the, the, the first foray into academic life, into your career uh, at the Lawrence Livermore National Lab and then beyond uh, to, to NASA? Well, I, I, that's a good question, uh, Tariq. The, um, I'm, I'm kind of like a pragmatic person. I, I knew I wanted to be an astronaut, uh, but I also knew there wasn't a major in college for astronaut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And now, now there's there's other majors like astronomy, a uh, you know astrophysicists and those type of things. But again, I'm pragmatic. I said, okay, if things don't work out in me not being an astronaut, what am I going to work in? Mm-hmm. I got to have a job. And uh, and of course, Silicon Valley is not far away from us, Tariq, right? And so yeah. I said, you know, what do Silicon Valley hire the most? It's engineers. And and quite frankly, the reason why I became an electrical engineer is because my oldest brother what is an electrical engineer. <laughs> okay, I'll, 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 out of all the engineering, I'll just pick electrical because my my brother uh, is finishing up his degree in that. So what's good enough for him is good enough for me and <laughs> the job. And so that's why I picked engineering because I figure uh, if everything falls by the wayside, I'm going to have a job as an engineer somewhere in Silicon Valley. And then that's so. Go ahead, Rod. Go. Uh, just pursue it to Livermore. Um, and I hope this isn't a spoiler. I'll try and take it easy. But there's a scene there where you show up for work and the secretary, the receptionist, starts saying, Oh, the janitorial supplies are over there. He's the key ring and so forth. And I, I hung around Livermore a little bit as a kid because my uncle uh, worked there, but that was in the 60s. And that scene would have made more sense to me in the '60s, but as late as that was, because that was what early '80s, probably. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was like '80 uh, after my um, uh, after I finished Pacific '85. And that was pretty straight up the way it was played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, and, <laughs> that's and, so weird. Well, it's it's not if you think about it. If you think about it, Rod, um, that same day in those days, buildings had building operators. And, uh, and the phone would ring into the building and they would say, John Smith, uh, line 31, line 31. And so you would pick up your phone, put 31 and you answer the phone. So so that's how the operator handled it. And that day, two people were starting uh, in that building. One was a Jose Hernandez and the other one was, was a Jack Smith, for lack of a better name. <laughs> And and all she knew was that one was an engineer and the other one was a custodian. So, you know, she put she basically just acted on her biases mm. and said, well, Jose Hernandez must be the custodian and, and Jack Smith must be the engineer. And so when I introduced myself as the new guy and she saw me as Spanish, OK, here's the custodian. Here's the keys and everything. And, and I said, whoa, OK. Oh, wow. 
But again, as it was, as that scene was portrayed, and I don't want to get too hung up in the film, but again, a really delicate balance of you being surprised, but not angry, Michael Pena as you, and her just being kind of wide-eyed and, and not really somebody you'd blame for it, as you just explained, it made sense. But it was kind of a moment there. I thought, wow, even then. And then, of course, a, a few scenes later, and again, I, Tark, I'll try not to give away too many spoilers, but our young hero discovers a major <laughs> flaw in the strategic defense initiative X-ray laser. And that, that must've been an incredible moment. And, and, and again, was that, was that portrayed pretty much as you experienced it? Because yeah, your, yeah, your characters was, does sort of an aw shucks, you know, I just happened yeah, to notice yeah. it because I'm brilliant thing there. <laughs> yeah, it was, it wasn't that particular, uh, thing they described it, but it was very similar. And mm. I didn't want to get into it because of classification issues. So yeah. I let them invent their own. Uh, I said, look, this is what I did and all this, uh, but this is the part I don't want to talk about. So you guys need to fill in the blanks. And so they kind of stretched it a bit and, and came up with something that looked halfway reasonable. But getting back to your point about not getting mad at people, Rod, um, you know, I subscribe to a to a um to something my mom had told me as a very young kid um you know uh the first time i felt uh discrimination you know i went home and complained to her i was in elementary school and um and she didn't console me or say hey you know basically she said son you're going to have to deal with this and the only way to deal with this she said, "Is you have to kill him with love." And I said, "Kill him with love? What do you mean, mom?" <laughs> and she said, "Yeah, mijo." I says, "Show him who you are inside here." Pointing to my heart, I says, "Show him who you are inside here. Sooner or later, you're gonna win over the people that are fair. The good people, you're gonna win them over, mm-hmm. and you'll be good friends with them. There's gonna be some people you're never gonna win over." Those are the ones you stay away from. And uh, and so that's that's what I that's had has been my mantra all along is that, you know, if I don't judge people because they judge me by appearance. I give them a chance to get to know me. And then once they know me, they say, OK, well, Jose is a good guy and all that. And I get acceptance. So I give them that chance of accept of trying to gain their acceptance and then we move forward with that. And that's what you have to do. To do. And, and and it's worked for me beautifully uh, ever since my mom told me that. And so it's not putting a chip on your shoulder and saying, poor me, or it's because I'm Hispanic or this. No, it's like, okay, fair enough. You made that mistake, but let me show you who I am and all that. And then, and then you gain their respect. Your parents sound like incredible people. Yeah. Yeah, good advice. Good advice. So you were at uh, Lawrence Livermore for about, was it 14 years, right? 87? 16 years almost. 16 years, yeah. Wow. Mm. This is another reason to be a bad astronaut. I cannot add. (laughs) (laughs) I was there yesterday because, ironically enough, I'm on uh, the governor appointed me to the UC Board of Regents, and the Regents appointed me to the uh, Livermore, Lawrence Livermore Lab Board of Governors. So I kind of oversee them now, which is uh, pretty, pretty ironic. So I was there yesterday for all day meetings. Wow. Well, and we just saw your UC Santa Barbara mug. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to display my UCSB. You've got your, your Master's of Science in, in Electrical and Communi- Computer Engineering from, from there as well. Um, and, and then you, you, you joined NASA 
right, correct me if I'm wrong, in, in 2001 at the Johnson Space Center, but not as an astronaut, as an, right? And and what was that path like? Because that, I mean, family, you, you mentioned your parents, um, and I know that you and your wife, um, uh, Adela, have uh, five kids. That's a that's a move, right? <laughs> to go to the Johnson Space Center uh, before. Was that, was that just part of your path of... Um, kind of pursuing the dream there or did an opportunity arise that you learned of to to move halfway across the country? No, what happened was, um, what happened was um, I got an opportunity when I was working in the nuclear non-proliferation arena at the lab in Livermore to go and help DOE headquarters because we were, they were working on a new program called plutonium disposition with the Russians. And they said, Hey, you already have, you already have experience working with the Russians, going to Russia, um, go to DOE headquarters uh, for a detailed assignment, a two-year assignment. And I, I was smart enough to realize that anyone who's anybody at the lab has to punch their ticket through DOE headquarters because that's our funding arm. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. But at the same time, I was on the short list of being selected an astronaut. I was in the 100 finalists. And, uh, and, and at the same time that I had just moved to DOE in, in, uh, to Washington DC in Maryland to be a SAC with my family, I had four kids at the time. I had just moved over there. NASA comes back and offers me a consolation prize when I did oh. not get selected. They said, would you work as a engineer at, uh, at, Na- at, at Johnson Space Center? Uh, we'll offer you a job and this way you could get more experience and perhaps no promises, but perhaps you put yourself in a better position to get selected. We like you, but we don't know you is basically the answer. Yeah. And I had to turn them down. Oh, wow. Because I said, <laughs> well, I did because I, I was about two weeks moved in. The lab has spent about $30,000 moving me to, to Washington, D.C. I couldn't in good conscience tell the lab, Hey, thanks a lot. But you know what? I got this offer. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, um, I politely turned down NASA, but I, <laughs> but I explained why. And then two years later, they have the next selection round. I'm in the hundred again and I don't get selected. Mm-hmm. Now they tell me you still have this job offer, Jose. And because I was coming home to California I thought, okay, I'm going to move anyway. Why don't I just move to Johnson Space Center mm-hmm. to Houston? And, uh, but, you know, the problem is NASA offered me the job, you know, and here's the balance, right? You got the perfect weather of California, hot, muggy Houston. <laughs> you got a 15% pay cut. You know, so explain that to your wife. You know, I'll say, hey, honey, how would you like to uh, come to hot, humid Houston and have less money to spend, you know? So I had that conversation with my wife, but she was very supportive. And so we came, we came to, uh, to, to NASA and I worked four years there. Uh, I started off at the, as a, as just a staff engineer, worked my way up to, uh, materials and process branch chief. And, uh, and after four years, uh, got another, uh, interview and that's when I got selected. Yeah. That, that, so, that story, that, that, that kind of, that early, <clears throat> Introduction at NASA Johnson before you became an astronaut. It's not that's missing from the the film it's, it, sure. itself. Yes, it a, 
was that yes. a conscious choice or is it just to streamline the story itself? Do you think it's it's a conscious choice to streamline the story, right. to shorten the story? There's also a a very important part, one third of my career, that is not told at, uh, from the lab, yeah. and and that is uh, the development of the first full-field digital mammography system for the earlier detection of breast cancer. We're the ones that ushered in medical imaging, computer-aided diagnosis, and uh, and we developed the first uh, full-field digital mammography system that demonstrates uh, more information content, which means earlier detection, which means saving hundreds of thousands of lives. And that's what I'm most pr- proud of. When people ask me what's my, my, my proudest technical moment, uh, or achievement, it's not being an astronaut, it's not going to space, it's actually uh, being one of two co-inventors of that fulfilled digital mammography system, which is not even in the movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I saw it on your bio. Well, speaking of doing jobs, my job is to take us to one more quick ad break, and we'll be <laughs> right back after this short message from a sponsor. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I've already mentioned tenacity. I think that's a wonderful word to describe you. And uh, the the story of your many applications to NASA reminds a little bit of my lovely ex-wife, who's a classical musician in the L.A. Philharmonic, who took 20 professional auditions before she got that gig. And, you know, most people, in by the time they graduate at the Music Academy or whatever, are at such a level where they take a handful and they either get a job or they give up. Uh, she took 20, which is, I think, kind of unheard of. And it, it made me think of, of her when I was watching the film. Um, that moment, I mean, it must have been a bit challenging for you to coach them on how to tell the story, not just of, of all the, the applications and the incredible dedication you had, but especially of number 12, because that, of course, is one of those major turning points in, in a movie. And we're all really rooting for you. And then it comes across. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, uh, people um, always tell me, hey, you must have felt, you know, like you won the lottery when you finally got selected. And I tell them it's quite the opposite. I said, you know, to me, it was about freaking time. <laughs> I felt I felt I was ready years ago. And, uh, and it was only until then that I finally got selected. And so to me, Having been there at NASA for those four years and having had all the preparation I did, I felt ready. I said, hey, it's about time, man. Let's go. And when the call finally came, I said, finally, I'm in. I'm in. Now, of course, I'm happy. I'm ecstatic. But it, but it wasn't like I I was getting something I didn't deserve. Right. Like, it was about time you guys give me this because, man, I earned it years ago. Well, and do you think, sorry, Tark, I just have one follow-up. Do you think, and, and this is kind of, again, how the film plays it, that that personal visit to JSC made all the difference, or did it just happen to work out that way? I think that personal visit uh, actually occurred um, when I went to D.C. for the first time. 
I, I went and I think that personal visit got me that job offer, the consolation mm-hmm. prize. And then I oh. the second consolation prize job offer. And then during those four years, what they don't show there, what they don't show there is that during those four years, that's when we had the Columbia. Activity. Yeah. Right. And it was my group because I'm uh, my group uh, runs the uh, failure analysis uh, portion of materials because we're materials and processes branch. And my group was the one that was out there picking up pieces. My group was the one mm. that was doing the SEM analysis, all the analysis to help the uh, presidential appointed panel, Columbia Accident Investigation Board that we presented to. And uh, and in Ironically, I think that's what helped me get selected because uh, I was in front of the board, an engineering board, uh, presenting results from my group that my group did. Uh, I had a group of about 40 engineers and technicians. And so when that 12th time came and I interviewed with them, I knew about 90% of the people on the interview panel. Whereas when I was in Livermore, I knew 0% of them. Mm-hmm. So now they knew me because they've worked with me. They've had four years to see me and all that. And then that's when I finally got in. And I got. And that's what I, I found really compelling, just kind of reviewing your, your bio and, and, and seeing, you know, professionally the overlap with when I was covering the space program too, you know, during, you know, all of that. But you joined, you know, you joined as an, as an engineer in 2001 and then you're selected as an astronaut in 2004. So that, that class that is selected after, after the, 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 the accident, um, uh, the same year, uh, 04 that, that, uh, the administration announces they're going to retire the program eventually and, and replace it. Um, and then you went through that whole experience as a member of the NASA family, you know, the Columbia accident with, we had, you know, tragically, uh, uh, uh lost seven, seven astronauts, uh, uh, Kalpana Chala mentioned in the in the film uh, as 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 well uh, there too as 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 one of them, and and I'm and you know and you've also mentioned your family support overall, and I guess the the question I'm trying to get to Jose is what did that mean to you to kind of see not just the promise of realizing that dream you know of becoming an astronaut of flying in space but also the the severe risks that are there all the time. Uh, and then having to explain that to your family, to Adela, to the, your kids, you know, while, while you're investigating all of that and, and why it's still a dream to pursue, uh, I guess. Well, first of all, the, the, the first uh, demons you have to conquer are the demons inside of you, right? Uh, because, you know, it hits home. Believe me, it hits home when you're picking up pieces of the shuttle in North Texas and Louisiana. It hits home. Uh, when you know that your mentor, Kalpana, you know, it's, it's somewhere along that debris. Yeah, it hits home. And, uh, but I'll tell you, you know, having worked, uh, at NASA those three years before being selected by NASA showed me the dedication that people at NASA have for the program. You know, those people at NASA, they could be working at any other company and be earning 30 to 50% more salary. But they're there because they love their job. They love their work. They're dedicated. I saw firsthand of my 40 folks that I was, when I was brand chief, how we tirelessly and relentlessly worked 
when it was time to try and find a root cause of the accident. Uh, designing the uh, wing with the wing leading edge RCC in San Antonio, uh, at Southwest Research Center and firing that air gun. That was all us engineering that we wow. did. Uh, and, and so we were doing all these. So I saw the dedication. So when it was my turn to get on the ship, you know, I was at peace because I said, you know, everybody's dedicated and they're doing their best to make this the safest flight possible. And so that's why I was at ease. Now, it's a different story with my wife mm-hmm. because uh, of the uh, you know fact that she stays behind and she's got five kids she has to raise if I don't make it back. And I understood her position and it was tough. It wasn't easy on her. You'll see it in the movie. You know, she was, it was, it was hand, a lot of hand wrangling on her part because, you know, that's the reality of a wife or a spouse, uh, that is watching their loved one get up on this controlled bomb explosion, if you will, to get up into space. Uh, you know, space right now, space is, still not trivial it's a it's a dangerous it's a dangerous uh activity and um you guys talked about earlier about the FAA and all the things that are happening I'll tell you all we need is one commercial accident with loss of life to bring things to a grinding halt which will happen eventually yeah, because well. space flight is not guaranteed and we will have an accident and when that happens you know, there's going to be a closer look at how the commercial industry does safety compared to NASA. This is why it's faster, cheaper uh, to do in the in the commercial, and, and it's because they're not subjected to what NASA subjects itself to. Mm-hmm. But eventually, that's going to happen too, and they're going to be as expensive. But uh, and at least that's my theory in that. <laughs> but you use the words. Faster, cheaper, and and I would add better. It always kind of causes a moment of uh, having hives after that whole uh, period. Notice, of time. How I did, notice how I didn't say better. <laughs> well, and and as any engineer will tell you, it's a pick any two. I, I wanted to mention family and family support. You know, in watching the film and learning more about your story as a parent. I mean, we're all kids of somebody, so we have that to reflect on. But of course, as a parent, I'm thinking about. Oh, geez, did I give my kids enough support and was I that good and all that? And then it, it dawns on me, of course, like like a dummy. It's like, look, I was I was raising my kid from a very priv- a position of great privilege. I, I had it easy in comparison to you and a lot of people. So the way that your parents sort of supported you and and, and put you out there in front at, at, against all odds. It's it's another one of those moments that makes you a little dewy-eyed, especially if you've been a parent, I think. Can you talk a little bit about what that meant? Yeah, I think the, the important part is that, you know, they set the environment uh, that was conducive for us to get an education. I mean, we didn't have much resources. My parents could not contribute to my tuition at University of the Pacific. Right. But... But, you know, I still lived with them because I did. I wanted to save money and not incur costs in the dorms and, uh, and, and, and the cafeteria. So, yeah, I took my burritos to school and ate my lunch. I like that. Uh, but the thing is, my parents uh, from a young age, you know, instilled upon us that we needed to go to college, that that was not a a 
a um, decision of ours, but it was a requirement from them <laughs> that we go to college. My mom, every day after school, since we were in elementary school, would uh, fix us a snack. We would circle around the kitchen table. We would eat, and she would not allow us to get up until we cracked open our books and finished our homework. So <laughs> she instilled those study habits early in our age that helped us during high school and college. And and so so it's those type of activities. That's why I always tell people when people parents tell me, hey, I don't know my kids. I can't afford college for them and this and that said, don't worry about that right now. What you have to worry about right now is making sure you set up an environment that that, where they're going to be successful at home uh, in their elementary school, in their junior high, in their high school. If they get good grades the rest takes care of themselves because you could get scholarships, you could get loans, you could get work study, uh, and 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 uh, all these things will 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 essentially help pay for the tuition, the cost of an education. Uh, but if they start, but if you give them the expectation that you can't afford college, so don't even try, then of course they're not going to be prepared. Uh, there's not going to be any scholarships. They probably won't qualify for. Uh, or a four-year university and those type. So you set them up for failure by have, taking that pessimistic uh, view or attitude. And that's why I tell people, don't worry. Tuition is, they're not billing you right now. Uh, you know, your kid's only in the eighth grade. I said, you know, start saving a little. But the more important thing is, what are you doing with your kid to ensure he's going to be, he or she's going to be successful all the way through high school and get good grades and be an honor student? That's what you got to worry about. That hits well, hard. My daughter is in high school right now, and we're thinking all about that. We just went to our first college intro night. Yes, love. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's fun though. You go go to the college campuses and visit them. That's yeah. fun with the kids. <laughs> they would go to college campuses and remember how much fun it was to be there. I, I went to seven myself, but but that's a story for another time. Because right <laughs> now we're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. So I wanted to ask because we talked about you know your 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 youth your path to becoming an astronaut that 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 road that led to to your 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 space flight but we haven't talked about the flight itself mm-hmm. <laughs> and and was it all worth it which I I assume that it was but for 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 all of like the all of like the I, I can't even explain it to myself for for whatever I think maybe my my daughter was nine months old and that's why I did not actually get to see you launch in person. Uh, in 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 uh, in 2000 and I think that was nine, right? 2009, SDS 128 launched August 28. Um, yeah, I, I I found the story that I wrote about it, um, and it hasn't aged well on the internet because of how those things change. But it said here that you had um, you held up a sign for your family and, yeah. and said that, <laughs> that that you loved them, which must have struck me because I put it in the story that much. But but if can you tell us a little bit? about finally kind of getting there. You, you wake up in the morning, you suit up, uh, uh, you, you, you know, take the, the Astro van out to the launch pad. And then the next thing you know, you're in space. 
Um, yeah, well, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> it wasn't that easy because um, we suited up the first time and we got into the vehicle. And then I started seeing some flashes uh, out the window. I'm the flight engineer, so I get the best seat in the house. So I'm, I sit a little behind the po- commander and the pilot. So I, I get the nice panoramic view. And uh, and I remember I was sitting there. We're getting ready to launch, uh, doing all the, the sequences that we need to do on the uh, flight data files. And then I see the lightning. And then I see a couple of drops falling. Oh, no. And and I tell Sturkow, our commander, CJ Sturkow, I say, uh, Commander, I think I'm starting to see some rain. And then he piped up on the private line. He says, you don't see anything, Hernandez. <laughs> I said, Roger that. But but about three, four minutes after that, it was just pouring. Mm-hmm. There was lightning. And uh, and all I can think of is I said, oh, man, my poor family, they're out there outside, you know, watching and they're probably getting all drenched and all this and stuff. And so the the launch gets canceled. Uh, so now we got to wait till we get out of egress the ship and then go back to crew quarters. And then I find out that it was only one cloud centered <laughs> in our Centered at our at, at Launchpad 39 Alpha, uh, the the people watching were not getting wet. They oh. just said, all of a sudden you couldn't see the the shuttle anymore because of the rain. I mean, the, wow. the cloud just came on there and just drenched, and there was a little bit of lightning. So that's what called it was the lightning, not the precipitation. And so, uh, so, so then that was a Monday. So Wednesday was the new date. And uh, and we were we were getting ready to uh, to get we were in the in the dressing room. We already had the orange suits getting ready to walk out when they call it again. <laughs> and um, and that was due to a uh, uh, either a sensor or a faulty fuel valve that was not cooperating. So we said, well, we certainly don't want to take off with, you know, doubting what's wrong with that. So then the third time was the charm. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and that's when we, that was Friday. That's when we finally uh, launched. We all got in there. We were all experts at getting in, in there now. And so <laughs> you know, routine. And then we were just saying, Hey, let's see if we go this time. And uh, sure enough, uh, we did. Oh, that's great. Well, the, the shuttle certainly had its, its technical complications. And if I remember correctly, just speaking of rain for a moment, Depending on the the volume of rain and the altitude at which it occurs, you had to be careful because of the uh, the tile system on the shuttle. At a certain point, it's like launching into buckshot, right? Exactly because of the speeds. Yes, 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 and 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 so there's a certain amount of precipitation and altitude and all that that gets taken into account. But if it's a light rain, it's really no uh, not a problem. And if the cloud cover where the rain's being produced is low then uh, you don't gain that much speed in at that low altitude. Mm. So you just uh, rip right through it. Uh, the biggest thing is if there's, I think, like uh, lightning within a 20-mile radius that you got to be careful of, that they're, they're more worried about that than anything. And uh, that was the case in, in ours, uh, in our particular situation that evening. And Jose, you spent 13 days at the International 
space station and, you know, delivering cargo, you know, science, all, all that fun stuff. And I'm just wondering what really struck you, struck you. Was there stuff that you had wanted to do there? I saw that you had taken pictures of your family yeah. at the, uh, out the, out the, at the window there. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, know, as, as flight engineer, you're a mission specialist there, uh, as well with, with the crew. I think you were on RMS ops. If, if I remember. Yeah, yeah I was a robotic. I was one of two, uh, both Kevin Ford and I, our pilot, and I were the two principal robotic arm operators. Um, you know, I was the uh, portable onboard computer guy specialist. Uh, mm-hmm. These are computers that help us talk to the International Space Station. Uh, we had seven tons of equipment. We were the second to last mission, I believe, to finish uh, station complete is construction. Mm-hmm. And we brought seven tons of equipment. In, in the uh, multi-purpose logistics mo- module, Leonardo, uh, that we docked and we emptied the contents both uh, to be install both inside and outside of the uh, International Space Station. Outside, we installed camera systems, antennas, and cabling. We got cabling ready for the very last module that was going to be installed. Um, so all they had to do is just uh, connect it and connect the plumbing that was there already that we pre-staged for them. So we did that via several spacewalks. I did not do a spacewalk because I'm the flight engineer. Mm-hmm. So I take care of the inside. It would be bad form to have the flight engineer outside when something inside goes wrong. So they tend to keep the pilots and the flight engineer inside. Um, and, and then the mid-deck crew, uh, which is three of them, are the ones that really focus on uh, the EVA spacewalks. That's how they break up our training as well. You got two groups. You got the flight deck and you got the mid deck. When we're training essence entries and orbital ops, these guys are training uh, EVA operations in the neutral buoyancy lab. And mm-hmm. so, so that's how we do it. But, you know, even when they do their EVA walks, you know, I, I was one of the IVA guys, which means I dress up the, the, the people that are going to go outside and make sure everything's working because that's the only thing that's keeping them alive. And then once they're out there, I I uh, use the RMS, the robotic arm, and uh, kind of like they're Uber in space. I take them to the uh, to 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 the <laughs> to the open bay of the shuttle. They get equipment like ammonia tank assembly units, and then I take them with the robotic arm to the work site. They install it, take them back, and get other things that they need to install. So it was pretty busy. Thirteen days that we we're up there in space. Uh, seven tons is a lot of equipment. We've <laughs> We even installed the um, the treadmill, the Colbert uh, treadmill, the Stephen Colbert, Colbert treadmill. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he wanted a whole module named after him, and we said, "Now nah, we're going to name a treadmill after you." And, and so then he wanted guys, the bathroom named after him too. So, guys want all the glory. <laughs> hey, um, in, in, let me just a uh, quick follow up, Tark. In the late nineties, I think it was a friend of mine who was working turnaround at Edwards for one of the shuttles that landed out there called me at like one in the morning. And I answered the phone. I said, dude, what's up? And he said, you need to come out to Edwards right now. And I was like, why do I? Have- oh, so I, I, he, he took me on a, a non-official tour of, I think it was discovery, which was very cool. But uh-huh. even then, one of the things I noticed was this was not a new machine. This was a machine built in the seventies that was going to fly for 30 plus years. And it was getting old, you know, it was a good shape. I mean, you know, they, they did everything they could to keep it flight worthy and perfect, but that old original, I think it was a 128 K computer with an led readout was still over 
one of the panels as a backup. By the time you flew, was there a moment where you climbed in that thing and as wonderful as the experience was, where you thought, wow, I'm flying in the equivalent of a 707 at this point in a way? Yeah, you know, you, you, you think on, when you think NASA, you think the latest and greatest. But then when you look at flight hardware, um, it's not the latest and greatest. It's, 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 you know, generations old type of technology because it's so expensive to certify equipment to go up into space. So even, even remember I said I was the portable onboard computer guy. I mean, <laughs> we were using, you know, uh, those, uh, 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 what are they? IBM think pads, right? <laughs> the original, uh, think pads, big yeah. heavy ones, you know, and, uh, clunkers and but we were using it because you know we had a whole lot of them that were certified to go into space and that's what uh it would take millions and millions of dollars to certify the next generation so uh the easiest thing is you buy a whole lot of them and you keep them and uh as and you just cycle through them and and so you know it's proven technology uh that's the way i looked at it uh rod is is that you know going to space uh if they went to space the first time uh, with this equipment and were successful, then uh, they should be able to go second time. And then they had a proven record. So it didn't worry me because the physics doesn't change over time. It's the same mm-hmm. physics to get out into space. Um, look at the Russians. They still use so- Soyuz. Mm-hmm. You know, it's even older than our stuff and, and it's working. And so, so, so from that perspective, it wasn't yes. Do I want them to upgrade and get the latest and greatest? Absolutely. But there's a time and for everything when that happens, when that could happen. That's awesome. Well, Jose, you mentioned that your life has kind of gone full circle now with your, your vineyard and, and your, your, uh, your wine and whatnot. And I, I did want to ask, first of all, Please uh, give my best to Adela because I miss Tierra Luna, the restaurant. Uh, every time I'm back in Houston, there was a night, Rod, where we were all there, the space reporters, me and Irene and Robert, uh, Irene Klotz and, and Robert Perlman. We were having dinner and Jose, you showed up and you came and you sat down and you had dinner with us yes. while we were there. And it was amazing. That's pretty cool. Um, and, and, and I have, I have never saw in, in his, in, in your blue suit you know and your 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 flight oh, there's suit. been times there's yeah. been times where i've come and i'm not that lucky <laughs> i get sent to the back to go and wash dishes <laughs> i'm no kidding but so i wanted to i wanted to ask about about that that circular path because you left nasa in in 2011 the end of the program uh yep. you did run for congress you've written a lot of books um and now you have a a, a vineyard and and i'm, I'm curious how um, how that mainstay of family has kind of been the through line through all of that, what it means to kind of be able to be back uh, and, well, and working uh, for uh, in, in the vineyard, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, first let, uh, let, let me tell you, Tariq, why I left, you know, um, when I came back, they announced shortly after I came back, they announced the retirement of the space shuttle fleet. And I think they only had like four or five missions left. And, uh, but they were all, they were all uh, assigned because they assigned them about two years in advance. So mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't going to get a, another mission on the shuttle, mm-hmm. uh, but, but that was okay because, uh, you know, in my previous life, I worked in the nuclear nonproliferation arena and I, uh, I traveled to Russia like 25 times and so I was, one of, <laughs> I was one of the first ones in my show where they said, where they said, Hey, um, you know, we're not going to fly anymore on the shuttle, but we, we are, we do have an agreement where we're going to fly with the Russians. 
and uh, American astronauts are going to fly not as frequent, but you're going to fly on uh, on the Russian uh, uh, Soyuz uh, on the Proton rocket uh, and do uh, three to six months stints at the station. And uh, and they said, and from your class, you're going to be the, one of the first ones assigned. Uh, you game for it. And I said, yeah, that's great. So I started going through the medical, everything uh, to get certified for station flight. And then uh, I started to read the fine print. You know, it's 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 almost a three year training program, mm-hmm. uh, and eighty percent of that time you spend in Russia. Yeah, it's a Russian vehicle, which makes sense. And it's not like you can take your family because you go twelve weeks, come back a week, go sixteen weeks, come back two weeks, so on and so forth. Uh, and then you go out for six months, and then you go on the road for six months after you come back. So for a period of four years, you were probably not going to be at home eighty five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw what was happening with my colleagues uh, with respect to relationships and marriages dissolving and you know problems that occur uh, by being absent. And I also looked at my kids at the time, you know, my kids, my five kids were from 15 to seven years old, five kids. Yeah. And 15 is the age when you need to have both parents present. And you need to start paying attention to your kids. And I, I thought it would be very unfair for me to put all this burden on Adela. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was the toughest decision I ever made, Tariq, and from a career position point of view, is to, after having tried so many times and finally get selected, is to tell NASA that I was going to be leaving. Uh, but I saw no point in sticking around if I couldn't fly. Yeah, I felt I would be taking up a billet an opportunity for someone who has a dream just like I did. And I remember how bad I wanted it. And I said, it's not fair for me to sit on this for 10 years and wait for a U.S. vehicle and then fly again. I think the right thing to do is to step aside and let them hire another person that has that opportunity. And so, and so that's why I decided to leave and came, came back to, uh, to, to California. Uh, I ran for Congress, as you suggest, as you mentioned. Uh, thank God I lost. Uh, had I not lost, there's no way I would have been able to pay the tuitions of my five. You know, right now I'm at the uh, end of the dark tuition tunnel because I just have one left. He's in his third year of mechanical engineering. And but but, you know, all my kids, you know, I think I made the right decision. My oldest kid. He just graduated two months ago from Purdue in aerospace engineering. He has oh, congratulations. a PhD. And uh, guess what he wants to be when he grows up? You know, and then, <laughs> and then I have a, space my, re- a space reporter, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've got my three girls. I've got my three girls, uh, you know, all, and, and then my son, who's in his uh, needs a couple more years. Uh, but all of them in STEM, except one of them. One mm-hmm. of them is a, is a social media influencer, Vanessa Hernandez, and I'll send you on a treasure hunt. If you watch the movie and you see the restaurant scene, uh, there's a girl that asks Michael Pena, hey, when are you going up? <laughs> yeah. That's my daughter. That's oh, my daughter. no kidding. <laughs> yeah. so she's a big oh, that's so cool. Media. She's a big social media influencer. You could, if you want to see me make a fool of myself? Go to her TikTok, the Vanessa Hernandez, and <laughs> I do all kinds of silly things for her because I guess that's what dads do. But yeah, that's that's. A, and so after that, I opened up when I lost uh, the election. I said, "What am I going to do when I grow up?" So I opened up Tierra Luna <laughs> Engineering, 
uh, aerospace company. And uh, my first gig came, fell from the sky. Mexico called me and said, we're buying three commercial satellites from Boeing, $1.2 billion worth. Uh, and we need a technical liaison that can represent us at the meetings and make sure Boeing is doing what we want them to do with our communication satellites. So we launched them in Kazakhstan. We launched them in the French Guiana and we launched it in Florida, all three satellites. And, wow. and, and so that's what helped me get my feet off the ground in my business. And then I got the vineyard and then I said, well, what's the next challenge? Let me make my own wine. And Tierra Luna Cellars was born. And so that's oh, what we That's amazing. <laughs> well, Jose, our last challenge for you here is uh, something I'm sure you get asked a lot. If you'd like to have a closing statement for young people out there who might be facing their own challenges, and we know that many people are, what would you say? I would say do not be afraid to dream big. As long as you're willing to work hard and convert that dream into reality, follow that simple five-ingredient recipe my father gave me. It's determine your purpose in life. The most important one, make sure you spend time and answer that question. What's your purpose? Then and, and and then realize how far you are from that purpose, from that goal. Then draw yourself a roadmap so you know how to get there. And then prepare yourself according to the challenge. And then develop a work ethic second to none. And then the sixth and final is never, ever, ever give up on yourselves. Because uh, if you have the tenacity, as the movie says, tenacity is a superpower. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you've really set the stage for me to have a great rest of my day. So thank you. Just being a little selfish here. And I want to thank our audience for for joining us today for our conversation with Jose Hernandez, astronomer and other things extraordinaire. So we've seen the movie. I'm now reading the book, which is available on Amazon and other fine booksellers, by the way. Uh, where can we keep up with your next chronically overachieving projects? Well, you could, uh, you could, uh, I have a foundation called astroljh.org is the website, astroljh.org. It's called Jose Hernandez Reaching for the Stars Foundation. We preach the good gospel of STEM careers, uh, and we're here in the Valley, uh, and we have a summer academy uh, at the University of Pacific, uh, both campus in Stockton and Sacramento. Hopefully we'll move, we'll expand to the San Francisco campus as well, where we have seventh through 12th graders spend five weeks on the campus and we explore them. Uh, we expose them to great careers in STEM, have Silicon Valley companies come over, give them talks. And then we also prepare them for next year's core curriculum in math and science. And so if you look in that website, you'll see what I'm up to. Uh, my own website, tiralunaengineering.com. There's a store there. If you want the books autographed, that's where you order them from. Okay. Uh, uh, although, <laughs> disclaimer, they're cheaper on Amazon. Right. But they be they won't be autographed. Uh, but the proceeds from this one from engineering goes to our astrojh.org, our foundation. Uh, so so it goes for a worthy cause. Then they're thirty bucks a piece. Oh, it's there's not that that they're that expensive. Uh, but but we do that. And then of course you want wine, you know, <laughs> it's out of this world. The best I can guarantee this. I can make this claim. It's the best wine made by an astronaut. <laughs> that's probably the only wine made by an astronaut. <laughs> and that. if there's any other astronauts, I'll challenge them to a taste test. <laughs> but, uh, but that. But I'm making the claim that it's the best wine made by an astronaut. You want to order it? TierraLunaCellars.com, and it arrives uh, 
directly at your doorstep in most states, not all states. <laughs> Got to make all that. Right. And you all heard right. it here first. Tarek, where can we uh, track your only slightly less impressive feats these days, <laughs> including the history of your time in band? Ouch. <laughs> well, only well, slightly. You can you can find me uh, at space.com as always. I, I'm back at I'm back at it uh, from vacation next next all week. Right. Um, and uh, and then on the Twitters at Tarek J. Malk again. And if you like video games, I got a whole thing about Star Trek and Fortnite coming up uh, at Spacetron Plays on YouTube. So it's going to be I very exciting. I can't believe you snuck that in <laughs> every week. Star All Trek. Right. It was so exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you can always find me, of course, at pilebooks.com and at astromagazine.com. Don't forget to drop us a line at twist at tweet.tv. That's T-W-I-S at twit.tv. We always welcome your comments, suggestions, ideas, and please send a joke. We get all this fan mail, but you guys forget to send your space jokes in. So don't don't forget to do that. And uh, we, we love answering all our fan mail, and, and we answer each and every one. Don't forget to check out space.com, the website's the name. And, of course, the National Space Society at NSS.org, both are good places to satisfy your space flight cravings. New episodes publish every Friday of this podcast on your favorite podcatcher, so make sure to subscribe, tell your friends, and give us reviews, thumbs up, ring a bell, whatever you got to do. You can also head to our website at twit.tv slash twist, T-W-I-S. Finally, don't forget you can get all the great programming of from the Twit Network ad-free on Club Twit as well as some extras that you can only get there for just $7 a month. And come on, that's cheaper than a movie ticket. You can also follow the Twit Tech Podcast Network at Twit on Twitter and on Facebook and Twit.tv on Instagram. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Jose. It's been a real pleasure. And you. we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Come join us on This Week in Enterprise Tech Expert Coast and I talk about the enterprise world. And we're joined by industry professionals and trailblazers like CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, every acronym role plus IT pros and marketeers. We talk about technology, software plus services, security, you name it, everything under the sun. You know what? I learn something each and every week and I bet you you will too. So definitely join us. And of course, check out the twit.tv website and click on This Week in Enterprise Tech. Subscribe today.